Growth happens in the challenging and messy parts of life. I never want to stop learning and growing uh, to, to be stretched as a person. Gosh, I believe we grow best in relationship with others, and it's important to never lose sight of the human sitting in front of me. You know, my hope is to always have the hard conversations well. And we need to do a better job of holding space for each other. Asking the difficult questions is important, but I want to do it in a way that has genuine humility and curiosity. One of my favorite phrases is the staying power. And at the end of the day, I want to know that I did that. We need more nuanced dialogue to keep learning. And a part of that is we really need to get better at listening. We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain. And I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. We have the joy of spending time with our dear friend, colleague, and team member, Jill Sion, today. Uh, Jill is one of our counselors at Aspen House Associates. She's a brilliant licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas and has completed a certification in grief counseling where she spent over 150 hours studying death and grief studies under Dr. Alan Wolfell. We've had the pleasure of working with Jill for several years now, and she is just an absolute delight. Uh, Jill is one of the most grounded and creative therapists, as well as one of the wisest, most humble, and kind human beings we know. Jill, will you introduce yourself to our audience and tell them a little bit about yourself, both personally and professionally, so they can get to know you a bit? Well, absolutely. And thank you for that very kind introduction. Like Kimberly said, I have the privilege and honor and pleasure of working at Aspen House Associates. I'm a licensed professional counselor in Texas. I have been married 30 years this year in about a week. I have four adult children, Julia, Avery, Luke, and Anne Renee. And um, we live in Plano, Texas. Um, I started my journey as a therapist a little bit later in life after a career in pharmaceutical sales and um, have had lots of experience with trauma, sexual assault recovery, trauma work, um, and of course, EMDR um, and grief, uh, companioning grief uh, population and um, journeying with them on those journeys. So Jill, uh, we wanted you to be on the podcast today to specifically talk about um, the topic of grief. Um, grief is a very complex topic um, and one that we believe we don't often give enough space for to explore and work through and attend to. Um, it's complex, it's, it's nuanced, um, and you are just the person to walk us through this conversation as we explore it together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think as we sit at the beginning of the year, which I I believe represents a lot of hope and expectation for many naturally, but I'm aware that 2020 has brought with it way more grief and loss than I think any of us really can bear or desire. Um, And so I think there's a a palpable hope that, okay, maybe a new year is going to bring new change and all that loss and grief will, will end. 
um, and a new reality will begin. Um, and while I very much hope that this is the case for all of us, um, I'm very aware that the chances that grief will follow us from, from 2020 um, as we enter a new space um, and that we, we might have unresolved grief, we might have new losses, we might have new grief. Um, and as we face that, in one way or another, I, I think um, we would love for you to walk us through um, that conversation um, about grief. Um, so could you spend some time um, just defining grief and loss? I think sometimes we hear the word grief and it's very limited from what I understand. <laughs> I think our Western culture kind of goes, Oh, grief. That's when someone dies and we go to a funeral and then we're done. Um, and so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do we define grief and loss and what words would you lend to us as we have that conversation about this topic? And it's to have words in grief as w when you're in a state of loss, um, words are not found, um, but they can represent quite a bit of inviting into that dance of grief and mourning. Um, it is important to have some definitions and a framework. Um, grief is defined as the constellation of emotions, um, that sadness, anger, fear, it, it's multi-leveled. It is, it is the term I use and, and, and Dr. Wolfelt, my mentor, uses to define love that was in the present and now it's love in memory. Um, so grief and love are on different sides of the same coin. If we love in the present, we can see that person, we can hear that person, we can love that idea that 2020 was supposed to bring all these things in our life, and then it's converted into memory because it's not there anymore. That love does not end, it goes somewhere, and that's the grief. So, so if you come from the scope that love and grief are the same coin, just different sides. One is in present, one is in memory. Mourning is different. A lot of people want to use those terms synonymously. Mm. Mourning is an action. It is what comes out from those grief emotions. And remember, grief comes from love. So mourning, for example, the first action we do in grief is cry. Crying is mourning. It's the first evidence to the world that I am in sadness, I am in shock, I am in fear. Um, it is that physical response to the world. Um, and we call that mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Um, those are two terms that when I sit with my clients, we interact with those and they identify those and, and interact with them to the point that they connect with that. Um, they start to say, okay, yes, yes. Now, another question I get asked is how do you heal from grief? How do you heal? Um, it, here's my response. You integrate. Um, the healing will stir up and come from the mourning piece. Um, we don't chase that. We don't chase it. Uh, we don't prescribe it. We do our work in welcoming the grief pain, which is really counterintuitive for um, especially Americans, especially Texans. We don't sure. like, three days, get up, get going. You've had your three days off and get back to work. Um, so it really is something my clients and I, we sit with together to, to try to get some new definitions um, going there and help them begin. 
you have you have said so many nuggets, and I think we need to like go back and explore some of these um, because I'm not sure it's natural for everybody to do several layers of what you have talked about. So I want to go back to one of the earlier things you said. You said grief is a constellation of emotions. Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Yes. Uh, yes. Let's talk about that because I think sometimes when people use the word grief, they're like, that's the one thing, right? Like that, that's the emotion is the grief. So can you expound on that a little bit and, and help our listeners understand what you mean by that? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, I, I say a constellation because I think that's the best word to give a picture story to to my my mourners, my my people in grief. Um, I myself have been there because it's complex. It can vary from minute to minute, hour to hour. You can be devastated and crying, and in five minutes, be giggling about a memory of someone, and then be angry. I've had clients say, okay, I did that last hour. I did all of these emotions related to my loss in the last hour. And many a time they'll say, am I crazy? No, no. Mm-hmm. Grief is as complex as love. You think about the complexities mm-hmm. of love. Um, and it, it's, it's, you just want to template that over into grief. It's going to be complex. It is going to be multi-feltness. Um, um, it, it is a proper sorrow of the soul. Um, but, but in our Western culture, Kimberly, like you said, we kind of sometimes feel like grieving and mourning are optional. Well, if you've loved and loving is, is comes about with the risk of losing. And if you lose, you're, you're going to grieve because love is not universal. So grieving is not universal. Some people think, oh, everyone grieves, not necessarily. If they don't love, Mm -hmm. the grief will be appropriate to the love. Um, So, so just sitting in that space, Jenna, is is kind of a moment to kind of sit through the complexities of the emotions. Well, and I'm sitting here thinking about either friends or family members or even clients I've worked with, and I'm and I'm going, uh, and I probably, I mean, I would, I'd be honest, I think probably in my own humanity. Um, there have been moments where I want to avoid grief, right? I want to avoid that thing that I know will be painful. And as you're mapping this out conceptually, what's becoming very clear for me is to avoid grief. I would have to avoid love. I would have to avoid the joys in life. I would have to avoid all the things that I actually, you know, that most people at face value, I really want to, I want to, I want to love, I want to have fun. I want to do all these things. So to attempt to avoid grief, you, you would have to rob yourself of all of that. Yeah. Is what I'm hearing. And, And you know what? You cut out for a minute. I'm so sorry. I missed your first introduction of that when you just started. Oh, I was just, it's okay. I was just, I was just thinking about like, if people are going to try to avoid grief, yeah. according to how you are giving us this concept map, um, you, you have to avoid all of these wonderful things mm-hmm. because they're two sides of the same coin. You have to get rid of the whole coin. Exactly. And, and it is truly counterintuitive to our, even our nervous system. We are programmed to fight, flight, and freeze to any threatening stimuli, right? So it is going to be, a, it's a counterintuitive paradox um, how we turn to the pain and say welcome. 
Um, however, it is necessary. And there is richness there. There is meaning making. There is pain there. Um, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is necessary. It is necessary. I have sat with souls who did not want to do it at all and, and wanted to come see me like, how can I do this maybe a quicker way? Is there like a fast track way I can do this? Um, and, and, and again, I understand their questions and their needs and desires to bypass the process. Um, because we all want relief. Of course. Like that's a human thing. I want, I want relief. So can I do this faster, quicker, more efficiently? I mean, that's, that's, that's in us too. And, and, and this is, is, it's a different, it is a very different feltness when I, when I'm with uh, my grief people. Um, and even when I was in my own grief, um, it is slower, but yet it is this beautiful dosing we do to encounter the, the pain, what's coming up that day, what layer of remembrance or the new self-identity I have now. I'm, 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 I'm not a wife. I'm a widow. That, that can be something we work through in a session of just the different losses of self and what that looks like and what that feels like. In that process, I've, I've been able to bear witness to people as they interact with it and churn. It's like this divine momentum starts moving. And they mm. always kind of come out on this one side of <sighs> a deep breath. I'm a widow now. And, and again, encountering some of these new um, parts of self that are changing. Um, it can be slow. And sometimes I, I know that's why it can be a frustrating experience for, for the clients. Um, but, but there's a way to encounter it and then evade it. There, we can't do grief 24-7. It is overwhelming. Um, that is not usually available to clients in the first few months of grief. Grief is on them. They are in it. They, they don't have the luxury uh, of saying, okay, I'm going to contain this and put it over here so I can go back and take care of my children or do my job or get my day going. Um, and we talk about that dosing of encountering it and then contain it as best we can. Again, sometimes that's not a luxury we have, and that's okay. One thing I do know about grief that I have, I have seen in my, in my office, if we don't make an appointment and encounter it, it will find us. And it will find us usually at the most inopportune moments and come out sideways. <laughs> um, sure. and, 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 and most people, when I say that to them in my office, they all, it all resonates with them. They'll, they'll usually have an experience where they didn't know where this came from. And it came out sideways and possibly landed on people that had no idea. So. Can you talk a little bit about, you use the phrase scheduling time with grief, scheduling grief. But what do you mean by that? I, I, I know personally I've heard you talk about that and I, I love that concept, but um, kind of walk us through that a little bit. And I want to piggyback on that question because you also said that you can't force the process. Like you can't, you like, you can't manipulate this. So can you, can you tie that in with, with Kimberly's question? Cause I think that's really helpful. Absolutely. It's um, again, in, in the early stages of, of loss, um, cl again, clients will come to me and say, like, what are the stages? What do I need to do? 
Elizabeth Kubler-Ross never meant for her five stages of grief to be stages. Um, that was that was misconstrued and misattributed, and sometimes we have to do undo, excuse me, a lot of misconceptions about grief and about stages. You unlearn. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's it's um, every time we do that kind of work, the client is um, relieved because that's not their experience. Um, that they'll start shaming self. Well, I'm sh- I should be doing better at six months. Well, well, how have you encountered your grief? Um, the grief appointment is is one way of, of verbalizing, um, making that intentional turn to the pain. When tears come up, we will sit with that. What what are the tears saying today? Um, I I will I will in my sessions maybe ask what do you miss about your mom today. Um, if they give me any hints, she she made um, the best scones in the world. Really, what was that like? Did you ever watch her? Did she have a recipe? I will model for them that invitation. Let's talk about your mom. Let's talk about to engage the memory, to engage, to engage the, memory. the love, and letting them see it. At least here, we have a safe place to engage with a memory and smile maybe about her recipe of scones, but also tears usually come up simultaneously. I miss that. And having those two mm-hmm. opposite feelings in the same space and normalizing that it's very validating. Um, and the client does not feel, like I said, they don't feel like they're going crazy or they're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and back to your point, Jenna, it's a great question about not prescribing meaning making especially in the early parts of my my time with these clients, I offer it out there on the table that that ideally in, in the mega message is what we'll kind of look at. But I don't talk much to that because I don't want them to go too quickly to that because they'll miss the process. Grief and mourning is really about the process and the meaning making that, meaning making that comes organically out of that. Um, it's very um, in the moment. Um, and it, it's it, it's inc- it really incredible for me to sit with them and discover that with them um, in that pain. It's interesting. It's so interesting hearing you describe that as a clinician. Uh, I would love to hear from both of you as I, as I reflect this. I do not think that that's what I was taught in grad school. In fact, I think a lot of what was presented at grad school in the grief process was really prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think there was a lot of, not, not, not you as a counselor putting meaning on their story, but like prescribing them to make meaning. Uh, and I, I'm hearing you describe it very differently than I think what I've heard in a lot of the, the counseling community. Just like if I were to ask someone a a question about their love, say, for their husband and what that means to you. It would be very individual. Same situation with grief and mourning. It is going to be as unique and personal as your DNA. Um, And and I guess for my clients, especially the ones that want to hurry the process, I purposely do not focus on the organic meaning making that will come about in our processing of the pain and listening for the morning actions. Um, it will come about. So, so I don't focus on that. 
Um, but yes, you're right in that in our training, in my training, we therapized grief and mourning. Um, now there, there's a place for that. There's absolutely a place for that. Uh, when, when the loss has some complicating factors, um, your, your, my hat goes on as a trauma therapist to listen up for survivors of um, a homicide, suicide. Those immediately are going to bring about complicating factors surrounding the nature of the death that I'm going to be listening for traumatic mm -hmm. reactions that may be present. Um, I don't feel safe in my home anymore because my, my husband was killed here or um, I can't walk in that room anymore. This is where my loved one died in a chair in his sleep. Um, and then we start to look at, are there some debilitating behaviors that are chronic, keeping them from living and doing their job, getting out of bed? After, after a certain time, you kind of nuance that. This may be more of a mm -hmm. trauma reaction. Um, yeah. That's where my training as a trauma therapist and grief come together beautifully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I hear that. I, you know, I'm, I'm listening and going, gosh, there's a really big difference in the grieving process between trying to control it and just being intentional about it yes. like doing it with intention versus trying to like control it and you know again make it happen on your timeline and all that kind of stuff which I think is helpful for us to understand we we have a saying in one of my grief groups that is uh everything is allowable in grief but do helpful things uh there's all sorts of things you can do to try to avoid the pain numb the pain. Uh, you, you, you have the world is your oyster. Do helpful things. Um, and that's what I try to do and help with, with my clients is let's facilitate some helpful things. Notice maybe some unhelpful things. What are they doing for you? Um, and, and try to lessen those and bring about more helpful intentionality. Um, things that will help you interact with the grief emotions in a, um, in a healthy way. And that's so individual. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to speak what that is, but very individual um, when we, we discuss that. You've touched on um, the word companioning with something you mentioned at the beginning, which is not done in isolation, right? It's in relationship. Um, I think about our culture tends to lean far more individualistic than collective. But I also think there's probably, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Jill, um, a collective, communal, relational part of grief. And then there's probably a very personal, individualistic aspect of grief and what it looks like to ebb and flow out of that. And I know that um, personality, culture, context will influence all of that. But I'm hearing there's a lot of good and a lot of power in grieving in relationship, grieving with companionship, grieving with others, which is, I'm just postulating here as we think about our Western culture, mm -hmm. I'll do it myself. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'll take my three days. I'll move forward. And we don't engage each other in grief. So like honoring the individual and the, and the collective and the communal need in, in grief. Um, and so just curious what your thoughts are on how to do yeah. that and what that looks like. 
it, it is it is definitely again like I said as unique as your DNA um, but one thing about grief it needs support it needs a holding space um, I, I am a part of a group that does that well um, it also helps uh, when more people hold the space well for you. There's another um, uh, nugget, I guess, that I offer my clients that they always resonate with, and, and we talk about this in therapy. Uh, usually in loss, you'll have a third of the people will just go away. They either don't, they don't know what to say, they're afraid they're gonna say the wrong thing, the nature of the death may be too mm. much that they're scared, they're, they're just usually gone. They're not around. Um, and then you move on to the second third. Okay. This is an interesting uh, piece too. There, there are people who may say things that are true, but they're not helpful. Like um, when my dad died, I got a lot of comments that were very well-meaning, like he was such a good man. Um, he's with the Lord. You should be rejoicing. Why are you so sad? He is with the Lord. He was, at least you had a good father. You should be grateful. You should not be sad. You know, when we hear should like three mm -hmm. times in like two sentences, <laughs> we, we want to pause. Um, and my experience with that is I didn't feel like I could show loss emotions about my, my sweet father who I dearly loved. And, and so those emotions got stuffed down for a long time until they couldn't. Wow. Um, grief has energy, just like love. It's not just going to stay and, and not do anything. Um, and, and that's another piece personally of why I have a passion for helping people grieve and mourn well and in a healthy way. I didn't have that experience. I did my catch up grief and mourning work in a group setting, which has been a blessing for me. Um, okay. So hold on a second. I think our listeners need to know this. Like you, you are as much as you are willing you are talking about a personal story of stuffing that wow. I'm hearing had a, a, a contribution from um, not helpful community input and probably some other things. Um, can we talk about what happens when grief yeah, catches up absolutely. with us? Because I think, I think a lot of us are stuffers. So it would be very <laughs> helpful for us to talk about what that's going to do. Yeah. Let, let me finish my other thought about the third, a third, a third, and then yes, I'll be okay. more than happy to tell you. So remember, a third go, they just go. They they can't handle the, the death um, or talking about it or interacting with you. The second third, we call them true but not helpful. Um, sometimes we call them the surrogate sympathizer syndrome. I know exactly how you feel. Well, are you me? No. Um, you may not. You probably don't. Um, we call wow. those the SSS. Um, so, so right there, we have two thirds of your system and your life may not be real helpful. And then you've got this third over here we call the therapeutic third. They come and just sit in silence with you. They may come and just make your bed, vacuum your floor, go pick up your kids. They just join you. They don't try to push you either way they just sit with you where you are that hour that day we call those the therapeutic third and and, and if you look at the stats that's not the majority of of, mm -hmm. of your world it's going to be about a third not because those people don't care again like y'all both have alluded to today we don't do this well in western culture we're all mm -hmm. about 
independence and strength and all those are wonderful things except when we're in deep loss and pain mm. we want to avoid it yet this process wants us to in- encounter it to to heal so so jenna you asked about my my personal experience and and why it yeah, speak it, to it the fuels me oh man i'm good at that um i i've tried to i've tried to really work on that i um like I said, my dad died in 07, um, very suddenly. The nature surrounding the, the death was sudden, yet expected in that normal order of child to parent. We, we say that's a natural order. Um, not that that dilutes the loss, uh, but it was sudden. My six-year-old found him. That was, that was very difficult. Um, mm. He was a beloved man, and I, I am very grateful that he lived a life that people loved him so dearly. Um, but in my process and in my grief emotions would come out, it d- disrupted people around me that loved me. And, and I think in their, in their uncomfortableness and their awkwardness, they would say things like, he loved you so much, just rest in that and be happy. And, and so the message I received was my emotions that were raw and real in my physical body were either wrong I felt almost shamed. Was I extra? Mm. Was I being too emotional? Not any of my friends had lost a parent. I started pushing them down and hiding them because they made other people uncomfortable. They wanted happy Jill back. And I physically couldn't do that. About eight And you are later, happy. I do know that about you. So that would be very noticeable if there had been a shift. Yeah. Yeah. I had some friends that said those exact words, Jenna, that they just, they're not used to seeing me sad. Mm -hmm. Um, and and so I felt that I was making everyone uncomfortable. Um, and and so it, it was private. I, I started retreating to my closet, to be honest, quietly. And that's where I'd cry, but that's not enough because we need support. Like y'all spoke to Kimberly, that support around you. We need that. I didn't have that. Eight months later, I find myself in the ER with a, a very strange heart problem. My heart has swollen. It's beating out of rhythm very quickly. No indication why where this came from. I now have a have a, a little heart issue I deal with. It's 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 okay right now. In my research, I have come across a syndrome called broken heart syndrome. Now, mm, yes. um, my husband is in the medical community, and we've talked about this a lot. I'm convinced that my weird heart issue came from stuffing my grief emotions in, and I had broken from heart your syndrome. grief. Yes. And it makes sense. Uh, Now there's some debate about that, but I, I, I know, cause I know, cause I know that that stuffing for eight months of love being stuffed inside my body had effect on my body. And I have a reminder every day now, and it reminds me, join these people, help them grieve and mourn openly. And at least if I'm the only place they have support, we're going to do it. Um, and it, it fuels me and it gives me uh, passion for this, this topic because it's personal mm-hmm. to me. It's personal and it's healing. I have done my morning work and I have richness that I encounter when I think about my sweet father. Do I have moments of grief bursts that overwhelm me and I miss him and I cry mm-hmm. or I might get jealous that somebody has their, their father around? Um, yes, because I still have those grief emotions. And they're varied, but, but it's, it's softer. It's, it's more in that meaning integrated part of my body. Um, so, so I've done this process. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I hope that kind of shines light on, mm-hmm. on me and why I am passionate about this topic. It's very personal for me. And, and gives a, um, because Jill, we just, I mean, we experience you week to week because uh, we're on the same clinical team together, but it's, it's a very loving and gentle warning to those who might be tempted to stuff in order to survive, in order to, I don't know, people please make everybody else happy around them. Yes. Uh, serve others. And so it, it is a very, uh, I think, loving challenge to, hey, don't go here. It, I mean, it can have real, real repercussions. Yes. You've talked about stuffing. Um, uh, other challenges that you see with us as human beings um, and grief, we, <laughs> we want to go off and do it by ourselves. We want to rush it. You've talked about that. You've talked about stuffing, but other challenges that we encounter that keep us from the grief process, from the mourning behaviors, um, yes. other kind of barriers and challenges that you see for folks when when they encounter grief and their response to it. Absolutely. It, a lot of probably the biggest barrier I experience with my clients um, is busyness and distractibility. Um, we're so easily distracted nowadays and it's easy to get on our phones and, and, and there's a million things to get distracted by a click away. Um, and it's easy, but it's a temporary numbing. It is temporary. And um, now sometimes it's needed. Again, remember when I said you can't do grief 24 seven. And when you find yourself in that space that there's this semblance that you can dose it and, and contain it and go do your life, but come back to it see what, how you're interacting with it that day or that week later or a month later, whatever, whatever the cadence is at that time. Um, but I would say one of the biggest barriers would be the ease of distractibility. Um, because again, it's counterintuitive to our system. Uh, and I'm not suggesting to do it 24 seven. Um, again, it's, it's, it's a, it's a cadence. It's a, it's a dance, if you will. And I use that term very tenderly. Um, but it's kind of this dance and artful way um, we interact with it. Um, knowing that I could get distracted. I, I can think of a, of, of a person who distracted themselves for five years. You can do that all day long. And if you're really good at that distraction and it's a, it's a big distraction, but then again, like I said, it's going to find you and maybe come out sideways in anger. It could come out in some, you know, abuse of alcohol or drugs or body. Um, not always, but we look for that. So it, it has that potential um, when we put it aside, distract. Um, other barriers, again, like we've discussed, culture. Our culture is so about... Um, Come on, be strong. Come on. Uh, one of one of my least favorite things I hear at a funeral when I attend them is in the case, particularly of a parent dying, and somebody I hear them come up to one of the kids and say, "Now you're the man of the house." Now, um, he's ten. He's not a man of the house. Hmm. Yet in that moment of loss for him, it, it's it, it can go so many different ways when he feels like. I've got to be a man of the house now. Well, the mom's still there. Um, things like that. Um, well, you've got to be strong for your mom. I get it. Yes. But at the same time, everyone's, it's, it, everyone's grieving and mourning. 
So, so there are some things that uh, we can do to help others when we, we meet them in their time of loss. Um, and there's some things too of, of again, it's in that second, third, I've talked about true, but not helpful um, statements mm -hmm. of they're trying to be helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's just a okay. So, yeah. We probably it realistically could talk about grief for like three or four hours, especially with you, because you, you really are, uh, you have invested in becoming an expert in grief. <laughs> the reason we have brought your expertise to the podcast and our listeners is because, um, and, and some people are probably going to be asking, like, why talk about grief at the top of 2021? <laughs> like, what? this feels like weird timing. Um, I have learned from you being a colleague um, in collaboration with you on cases that um, grieving is so important, so essential. And, you know, many of us are, are trying to move into 2021 with a lot of unknowns still in our lives and leave 2020. And I, I mean, leave 2020. <laughs> I mean, I, I cannot tell you how many memes I have seen about throwing 2020 in the dumpster, right? Go in the trash. Um. And so we really thought a, a gift to our listeners would be to talk about how to leave 2020 well, which would include grief. And this is a, I, I'm guessing, and I would love your words, weird, unique grief and uh, of a wide variety. And we're talking, I mean, I feel like community wide doesn't even capture it. This is a global grief as to what this year has, has held for us um, as a world. Um, and so let's move into that. We wanted to give some baseline, but let's, let's talk about grieving 2020 so that we can move into 2021. Well, absolutely. Um, I, I agree with you. And I think we are going to have many different layers offered to us throughout 2021 of, of, of that process. Meaning again, what I said about not chasing it, but as we reflect on the things that we had hoped for, maybe um, that we were going to do a wedding that got postponed or a wedding that was going to be on this particular venue and now it was in the living room and, and very different. Again, you loved that idea of a wedding, a big wedding, or you loved the idea of traveling to a foreign country with your family. You loved the idea of um, graduating and walking the stage of your beloved college or high school. And yet those things were not allowable due to COVID-19. And, and you bet there's a loss there. You bet there's some grief pains. I think we all have seen those. And yet we, we want to first step, maybe reflect on what were kind of the painful moments individually for 2020? What were they for you? Um, I know what mine were and and yet can I stay there and and stay in those those um, emotions it probably won't be helpful again I want to do some movement in that and again as we interact with that pain of that particular loss in that movement I promise in that work there will be this divine momentum this movement this churning that will come forward. And again, I can't prescribe what that will be. I cannot predict that. However, 
it will come. I've seen it too many times in my office and with my clients. Um, sure. And, and, and I think that is where I would, and I'm going to think about the things that I love the idea of maybe, and I didn't get to do them in 2020 uh, due to different things. And now what they look like and what do they feel like and what do they say to me? Um, what did 2020 say to me and, and grow me in? I think 2020 was a challenging year. However, if you really interact with it and go deep and do that deep dive in your soul, I think it taught us a lot too. I think it revealed oh, yeah. a lot. Um, uh, things that maybe we need to attune to, to reflect mm -hmm. a more healthy, connected life. Um, and, and, and so I, I know that's kind of a multi-answer to your, to your question about 2021, but I think it is very helpful and necessary that we reflect on what we lost in 2020, what was taken from us perhaps, and interact with it in, in the scope of where am I now in 2021 and how do I want to move forward with that? How does that inform 2021? Which and it sounds well. like, as, as you describe that, we have to do some work and sit with, I mean, to use your earlier phrase, schedule some time to sit mm -hmm. down and reflect on 2021 and name the loss and name our grief experience in order to be able to look and reflect on what's to come and look at the present moment. Um so I, I, what I hear in that is just, we need to slow down. We need to reflect. And I think that's hard to do. I think about the context of 2020 just being a very reactive, survival, stressful. You talked about getting in our trauma brain and our limbic system. I think we all probably camped out there far more than we ever should as human beings collectively together and alone. Um but to just pause and have some scheduled time to just sit and reflect and name and see where we were and where we are. And then, you know, look, look at what is to come. Um, and I hear that there aren't a prescriptive formulaic steps. You're not giving us eight steps, Jill. And I'm really frustrated by this because I really want eight steps. <laughs> I want a linear formula to I figure know. this out. <laughs> You're telling me, oh, it's a process. And we got to sit yeah. with attention and it's messy. And I'm, well, and I'm a fan. Kimberly, <laughs> you're bringing up a great point, which Jill, you talked about in the beginning. This isn't just grief. Like we have nervous systems that have sustained yes. prolonged, increased no relief, very few breaks, yeah. if any, stress. So this is really trauma and grief. 2020 has brought us, a like com communally, globally, a dovetail of trauma and grief. And we're probably going to have to do a little bit of a dance back and forth between those, like sitting Absolutely. in the grief, yeah. being intentional about that, don't stuff it. And we're going to have to attend to our nervous system our um, nervous from a, a trauma-informed on alert, if you think about it, whether you know it or not, when you see daily counts of cases and hospitalizations, it's on your screen, it's on your phones, you may not think about it four months in, but your nervous system has registered that of death counts yeah. or things like that. So it's absolutely imperative 
that we attend to our nervous system as it's been on high alert pretty much daily in 2020. Um, and, and we tend to that as well, that there, our, our system is, is on hyperarousal pretty much all the time. Um, and I want to make was. a quick, I want to make a quick note that that is probably true regardless of what you believe or feel about the pandemic, mm-hmm. because you could see the hospitalizations and the cases go up and go, I'm afraid for my health, for my family and, and, and be, you know, part of the community that's leaning toward uh, like fear of the health. Or you could see those things going up and down and be riding the emotional roller coaster of, I am so afraid this is taking over our lives. I want to get back and re-engage. Please don't shut down again. Please don't put restrict. Like both of those are, are causing our, our nervous systems to go up and down. So this is true for, it doesn't matter what, what your opinion or feelings are. And I think that's really important to say, because I do think, I'm going to gently say, those that find themselves not scared of the virus, not scared of getting sick. I think sometimes they're not attending to what their nervous system is going through because they're like, well, I'm not afraid. But I think you're afraid of how it's impacting you still. I mean, I think that's still real. Oh, I absolutely. Uh, from, from the clients I've seen, um, it, it's, it's in the room. We tend to it. Yeah. We're going to tend to it. Um, and, and, and I, and I, I will just say this, there, there's one, uh, population in 2020, my heart probably is the most, um, heavy for coming into 2021 of those who have lost loved ones in the midst of a pandemic and had no ceremony of a funeral. Mm -hmm. Um, ceremony is so important in times of loss. Again, words, demonstrations, it, it invites that process of a funeral of a graveside. Um, we, we have so many people that did not have the gift of ceremony in 2020 when they lost somebody. Um, and, and I encourage my clients that I see who have lost somebody in 2020 and were not able to A, be at their side, B, have a, a ceremony, a funeral, a wake, um, whatever y- you need to have um, to please, if they've put it off, please please go forward with it in 2021. Hopefully that can take place. That again is a big piece of the pandemic. I, I feel we're going to see um, just how deeply that, that has complicated uh, grief and mourning because there was no ceremony. Um, and again, it was for, mm-hmm. for reasons of, of keeping people healthy. Um, however, it, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that comes about. Um, and, and, and that's another population. Again, it's, it's, it's really my primary, primary population um, this year that um, I, I will hope our community, our society is very intentional and compassionate um, in, in that piece for them and how that shows up. It's gonna be very, very interesting. And I hope we'll all be on alert for those loved ones around us that, that had that experience. So, so that's when you be think something. about when you think about a funeral. Mm-hmm. So, as you're talking, I'm getting this like word picture. When you think about a funeral and people who, and that that is to, to Kimberly's point earlier, that is sort of our classic grief schema, right? Is like someone passed, we have a funeral, that's grief. Um, I, I think 
a lot of people know that the the heightenedness of being in the funeral and the planning and the uh, the end of life um, sometimes busyness keeps us and the grief really hits later. There's a little bit of like this delay, like when you're coming down off the busyness. I am listening to you talk and go, what is that going to be like? And I don't. None of us know the timing, right? No, none of us know pandemic timing. But I almost feel like that's probably going to be true in this pandemic dynamic like we're as long as we're still in it we're not really fully coming down off of it and the busyness of it and the stress of it and so like there's there's this kind of future thing that I sense is going to come for our society and our globe and our country that I don't know if we're ready for I just I just do not know if we're ready for I, I have concerns about that mental health along with myriad of other things yeah. And, and I think we'll have to tend to it individually. Obviously, we as therapists will, will um, be on alert, be prepared. And I think, too, we have to do our own individual personal work um, with that. Um, uh, one thing I can you, say. You mean about, we have to do as we say, Jill? What, yes, what, we have to do yes, too? Sorry. We're not the immune? one thing about people <laughs> in grief, they can tell there's something about they can tell if you've had if you've been in grief before. It's the sixth, sixth sense, um, not sick, sixth sense that they have. They can almost smell it out. If you've not had deep loss and you're trying to companion them, um, and and it's it's really interesting. I've had people ask me, have you had someone you love die? That's the first thing they want to know before they they want to continue with me. Um, and 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 it's absolutely part of my intake. Absolutely. Um, if you would like to hear my story, I will tell you. If not, but yes, I can tell you, I have been through the grief and mourning. Um, and and so I do believe we are going to have to do our individual work. And hopefully that will globalize to our communities, to the people we know and love. Um, I, I, I try to, if anyone gives me a platform to talk about grief and mourning in my personal life, I take it and I run with it. Um, because I do believe for so many decades, there has been so many misconceptions about how to handle grief and mourning and, and how to talk to people in grief and mourning. And our American culture, as great as it, it is on some levels, we're, we're just, again, all about, oh, just come on. It's a new day tomorrow. Let's, let's buckle up and keep going. Um, and I think we can have both. I think we can have a beautiful spirit about the way we, our culture is, but at the same time, take time. Slow down, join them where they are. They're thinking about their loved one anyway. It's okay to bring them up. Um, I have people say, well, I don't mm. want to, I don't know what to say. I don't want to bring up their their son that died. They're already thinking about him. They love when you bring up their loved ones because to them, that means you've remembered their loved one. It's one of the biggest fears is that people will forget those people we love. Um, just another tidbit um, in, in, in my educating people around me uh, in that, that may not know what to say, may not know what to do. And I think that applies to, to us in the, the response in the wake of 2020. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say. They were in a different place with, with the COVID response. Maybe I shouldn't say anything. Gosh, that could get divisive. Or they're already over it and I'm not, or, or, or assuming that they are. 
Yeah. And so it keeps us from connection, which I'm hearing you say, I mean, it's both and it's individual and connection to just say, I have a lot of loss and grief with 2020 um, and opening the door. I hear you just saying sometimes it's just opening the door and giving permission and holding space for here's where I am and being curious about where other people are versus the fears that we have that some we're going to harm someone else or they might not have the same experience. And so um, something else I think we do culturally is kind of have the conversation inside of our, ourselves and then we don't have the actual conversation with people. And just Uh making it safe and invitational and intentional to just say, that was hard. I have a lot of grief and loss. I'm curious about what your experience has been too. Um, To companion with each other as we have such a variety of loss and grief Mm -hmm. that we've encountered. And in some ways, very similarly, because the context was the same, but in so many ways, so uniquely different because we are all uniquely different and we had a different response um, to this really difficult thing called 2020 and COVID. Um, but I just hear you saying, I think sometimes we overthink it. We, we get worried. We get we in do. our heads. Yeah. We get we shame <laughs> spiral and it's just invitational. It's intentional and yeah. doing that in relationship is so important. And, and, and one saying that we have is affirmation precedes the affirmation of the loss precedes the integration or the ability to integrate so so even if we just begin with tell me about your experience in 2020 what are some of the top three things that are available today that that you're grieving that you have emotions about um it, it kind of that inviting that affirmation or laying it out there helps, again, it's an invitation to companion. And and then what happens in that process, we don't chase it, that integration piece starts to move. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, that affirmation will Mm -hmm. will open up that. And so it it is important and we, it's important that we know our boundaries not to get divisive. 2020 boy has shown how divisiveness can just become rotten and toxic and um and and that's why it's important to know where you are where your boundaries are so that can you sit with someone and do that affirmation and invitation so you can companion them and and if it's not a space and time you can do that know that know that um and 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 take note um Sorry, I'm just thinking here. I, I'm curious because you're talking about like, you're just talking about differences. And you know, one of the things I thought early in the podcast as we were talking was as a systems therapist, I wish, I wish even if we're all indifferent, I, you've seen the meme, same storm, different boats, you know, um, different experiences. I talked about like one group's upset when they watch the numbers in this way, the other group's upset like this. And there's probably a, a whole spectrum of, of, um, experiences in between. Um, and as a systems therapist, I am sitting here going, oh, but we are all grieving. We could connect in the grief. We don't actually have to have the same opinion. We don't actually have to have the same experience. We don't actually have to have the same desires. We can connect in the fact that we have this shared grief yes. and this shared loss and this shared, uh, and I'm going to go as far as say trauma, like extended stress over time with no relief. Um, and I think we're really struggling to do that. And so as you're talking about boundaries, 
I'm sitting here going, yeah, because we have such a poor sense of boundaries as a culture at, uh, at times. And I think especially in the pandemic experience, um, we're going to have a hard time reaching across the table with people who are different than us and doing this grieving process as a community in a way that could be so powerful so healing to the to the whole of our society to the whole of our communities um and i'm and i am grieved by that as i think about it like it breaks my heart because you love that idea you love that desire and yet it's it's in the balance right now um it could happen but it also could not um and so there's there's kind of I hear you say there's a little anticipatory grief if that cannot be had, um, yeah. because I love that idea of of coming together on this on this one shared experience. However, it's it's kind of in the balance, um, and we call that anticipatory grief of will I be dysregulated or or in grief because of that, or could it come together? Um, mm-hmm. And boy, w- wouldn't that be incredible that support. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. It, it would be ideal uh, beyond words, how supportive that could be. So as we, as we kind of talk about this very felt, deep, clinically informed, I'll go there, uh, need to grieve 2020 in order to, in a healthy, helpful way, move into 2021. Um, what do you think what do you think the biggest challenges are going to be uniquely to just this very interesting, none of us in our lifetime have experienced it pandemic experience? Yeah. I think the one thing that comes up for me is um, letting some of the more debilitating emotions carry over into 2021 and checking those individually and making that intentional effort to deal with perhaps maybe anger, step into that anger. Anger sometimes suggests what was taken from us, start naming it. It took this, it took this, it took this. Um, Sitting in those emotions, and that may take a couple of days, a couple of weeks, I don't know. Um, but, But really being intentional about interacting, processing the emotions associated with the loss in 2020 so that it doesn't have a whole new life in 2021 and still be debilitating and, and not connective language to other people. Um, and, and, and doing that individual work. Um, I know for me personally, I would like to slow down more in 2021 and be more intentional about joining people in my life um, that I maybe have made assumptions about. Maybe I don't agree on certain things. Um, that has not gotten me anywhere in 2020. Um, and I am interacting with that and would like to make motions to change that in 2021 because that's not been helpful. Um, it's not connective. And if there's anything we all learned in 2020, isolation's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fun. Even the most devout introverts wired introverts at some point, um, at least in my experience, wanted community and wanted connectivity. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I don't think that's the way um, our creator designed our bodies to be in isolation. Um, 
And, and so for me, that's a big message for my 2021 is connectivity, patience, um, sitting with people perhaps that um, had different experiences and, and making mm-hmm. more of a connection, but that's going to take intentionality and slowing down and listening. Um, yeah. And so that's what I would encourage the listeners to do. Be intentional about what you lost, write it down, look at it, feel it, talk to someone about it. Um, in that process right there, if you listen to your body, to your mind, to your spirit, there will be some integrative language that arises in an action. Remember, the morning is that action. Um, it could be that you write it down and then you throw it into your fire. I don't know. Um, sometimes, again, those action pieces can be very powerful, um, very powerful. Um, and, and it can be anything that reflects that grief piece. The morning piece is really the ongoing exciting piece that I get to bear witness to in my therapy room. Um, and, and, and so that's, that is my prayer and hope for 2021 is that we have some integrative language and mourning pieces mm-hmm. that will help us and inform us. Jill, I'm curious. Um, why do you think we resist the grief process? What's in the resistance? Why do we do it? What are your thoughts as a grief therapist? And you've sat with a lot of grief. You understand it well. It, it sound the way that you describe it. I'm thinking, oh, it's it's so good for us. But why are we resisting it? <laughs> yeah. It hurts. It hurts. It is it's painful. It, <laughs> it's pain. Again, think about just our very basic wiring. We're not wired for this. Um, it hurts, and it's inconvenient. It disrupts our day. It disrupts our schedule. Um, It is unfamiliar many a time. Um, I'm not sure where this is going to go. Therefore, I will like to pull back and go to a more familiar path, Um, like wanting stages. Okay, I can identify. Um, I'm here. I'll be here in two weeks, and then I'll be here in a year. Um, Again, I'm not throwing out the idea of kind of – if you're on in the wilderness and your Dr. Wolfelt talks about a lot about the wilderness of grief, it is vast. Some of the trails are very laid out and clear. Some of the trails are bumpy and you climb and you get stuck. Um, but there are trailheads that say you're, you're on the right path, right? We look for those trailheads. That, that's the part that I love doing is, is I like to act as a trailhead for my clients um, mm. because it's going to be varied. in in that wilderness. It's the people that don't even want to go into the wilderness. They'd rather stay on the highway. And that's familiar to me. Um, Because again, it it goes against everything we're wired to be. Culturally, we've got to look at the culture. Now, here's, here's the beautiful part that I love learning about is different cultures and how they interact with death. It is so varied across the world. And I will say, um, most of the thought process about Americans is that we think death is optional. Um, and it's kind of a joke, but we do. It's kind of known throughout the world. We, we kind of think it's an optional um, wow. thing. Um, and our culture I mean, has... I see it. I just don't yeah, know if I've ever heard yeah. anybody say that out loud. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you go into, and I, that's probably one of my favorite things. I don't get to do it often to travel, to, especially in 2020. That's one of my grief pieces. I didn't get to travel. Um, I'm always interested in how they handle 
um, death and what does their culture, how does it inform the people? Um, we're not great at it as Americans. <laughs> we're not great at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've sat with people from different countries in my training and, and listened to them. And, and, and it's pretty, it's pretty known that we're, we're, we're pretty resistant. So I'm, I'm not surprised by that question. Um, but again, I, th- I think there's many answers, Kimberly, of it's difficult. It's misunderstood. It's very misunderstood mm. of a process. Um, a lot of different opinions have laid uh, light on it that that I believe in my experience, um, companioning and stepping into the pain to welcome that morning peace has been very helpful with the individuals I have sat with. It, it transformed my grief and mourning process um, that I experienced personally um, and continues to do so. I have continued to have loss in my life and it has actually helped the process more than my experience with my dad. Um, mm-hmm. And therefore I think I live better because I am not averse to grieving and mourning. And if I live better, I'm gonna love better. Um, oh, and, yeah. and that's the ultimate piece is that we, if we grieve in a healthy way and mourn, we can live better and love better. Um, and, and, I, and I will definitely, I will definitely die on that hill on that statement that we can live and love better. Jill, you have been, as Kimberly introduced you, an absolute delight. This has been so good. Been I hope so um, I hope our listeners have felt blessed by this. We always close with two questions. So here's the first one. What would you like our listeners to take away from this conversation? What do you want to leave them with? Mm, gosh, can I have another hour? <laughs> um, that when we love, and I want to love, we do risk losing. But boy, mm. I'm going to love because love is so powerful. Um, and when I do grieve and I do my mourning work, again, it is honoring that person you love. You didn't stop loving them. It's just had to transform. It's a way of honoring yeah. them um, that we can do every day for the rest of our lives. And, and it's quite um, warming in the heart to do that. It is connecting to that person that you can't touch or talk to anymore. Um, it is a process that keeps you connected in that relationship. It's, it's just different. So again, um, welcoming grief, um, watching our morning work arise um, and living forward and loving forward. I'm curious. Our second question, what's your takeaway from today's conversation as we talk about grief, um, a field of expertise that you hold and you sit in that space a lot, but um, as we reflect and discuss, what are you taking away from our conversation today? I, I love all the questions. I love all the protests about, I don't want to do this. This hurts. Why would I want to do this? Um, I hear those hearts and um, it's again, a topic I just love to converse with anyone basically who will listen and join me, but it always opens up um, others' hearts on the topic um, because death is something we're all going to share. Um, And so I learned so much about you both and, and hearing your questions tells me kind of a desire of learning and a desire of need. 
of, of learning from this. So um, again, it's that supportive communal piece that is so innate mm -hmm. in us when talking about loss and pain. Um, and again, it just confirms in me the importance of community and discussion and connectivity. Thank you, Jill. This has been wonderful. You're one of my favorites. Don't tell anybody else. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. It's an honor. Yeah. Thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Well, that was incredible, as I knew it would be, uh, yeah. because we, we get the her. chance to sit with Jill every week, every day, and she's just so full of ways to conceptualize something that's so difficult, you know, grief and dying. I mean, Yeah, Jill is a unique and precious gift to the world. She really is. I mean, to have such a heart for something that I think we don't do well, and we, we don't know how, you know, I think some mm -hmm. of us want to, but we just don't know how. And so every time I walk away from Jill, but specifically this time, um, I always have words and yeah. understanding and conceptualization to embrace and challenge my own grief processes, but to walk with people in my life, um, you know, friends who have lost. And, you know, and she talked about not everyone stays, not everyone's supportive, you know, that the desire that, oh gosh, I want to be the friend that can, that has the staying power, you know, mm -hmm. as we sometimes talk about. Um, but then I, then I hope that people who are in grief can see that it's not, it's not them, you know, if some people can't witness and bear and hold that, that sometimes it's just some reality and that that's painful. Um, I think I, I hear a lot of self-blame in that. So that's something that I took away was, you know, the ability to go, okay, so they couldn't hold that, you know, and let, let that go, which I can imagine compounds the grief experience, but mm -hmm. it's nothing that they're doing wrong. And so, mm -hmm. um, so many, so many nuggets of wisdom that she offered today, but I think um, that one specifically, and then just, I, I feel like I have a renewed conceptualization of how to view 2021 and manage expectations and absolutely sit in my own grief because I sure do wish it was going to be magically different. And my guess yeah. is it won't be. Yeah. Very, very specific to my personality. I mean, I could name I, I basically could just quote back the entire interview and be like, I learned this and I learned this because Jill just brings that into the space. Uh, and I don't specialize like she does in grief. So like I always learn something new when I sit with her. Um, but I think the challenge for me um, and specifically with the focus of this particular interview, which was like, when it comes to this year, please help us close the year well, attend to the grief and go into 2021 better um, for it, I, I just got in touch with um, where the gifts of my personality, like I'm an eight on the Enneagram, um, a social eight, so a counter type, but I, you know, I always, those, those um, aggressive future oriented, doing oriented personalities, ENTJ, like these human gas pedals, like I am that, and there's beautiful parts of that. And her challenge that like, you cannot 
even if I'm like, I know this is what I should do. And like, this is, we, uh, those doing oriented numbers and types, we, we want to do, you don't do grief. You're intentional about attending to it, but you can't strategically push that process. And I think that that's going to be specifically hard um, for those particular personalities and where we are gifted and, you know, again, unique contributors to the world. This part is probably particularly hard, I would say. And so um, I think it was a good challenge for me, a good reminder for me to, to be intentional, um, but that strategic part of me has got to like calm down and kind of sit back and go, yeah, but I can't, I can't choose when it shows up and I can't make right. it happen. And um, yeah, a little bit more go with the flow, which is not the natural part of those types and personalities. So I think that was the part that like caught my attention. It was good. It was good for me. Yeah. I love how she talks about scheduling time to sit with your grief and mm-hmm. the rhythms and rituals of mourning. Um, and I think for the personalities that would be on the other end of the spectrum, there's an invitation to flow in and out of it, you know, to schedule time with it and sit with it. But we may not want to camp out there all the time. But for air, let it ebb and flow that, that I think is really healthy as well. So, yeah, so so many good I think guideposts and trailheads for what we're looking at in 2021. And then just, yeah, if you faced loss and grief of any kind, um, just helpful reminders to consider as we face something that really is inevitable for all of us. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo and edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcasts on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain. 